Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, find the Gospel of Luke in the 24th chapter. We were there a week ago talking about uh, Cleopas on the way to Emmaus. And just the backstory, real quick that Cleopas is, has left and it's been an awful weekend. I mean, they've lost everything they know, everything that they had. In a, in a life with Christ, he has now been beaten in a mock trial, crucified, buried, risen, and now they're on the way to Emmaus. And a stranger joins them on the way, and they don't recognize it's Jesus until they get to where they are, and he breaks the bread, and they see and recognize, wait a minute, Jesus is the one who's been teaching us and walking with us the whole way. And in Luke chapter 24, we pick this story up in verse 33. And it says, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they hiked the 15 miles, and they got up the next morning after realizing it was Jesus. He's really risen from the dead. This is the real deal. And they, 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 they get all jacked up about it, and they run back to Jerusalem and found the 11, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he, had known, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then verse 36 says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said, Peace to you. Now, can you just imagine how freaked out these people are? I mean, they, 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 they're thinking, wait a minute. You were in Emmaus with us, and now you have appeared here with us again. There is something cool going on. And the word that he brings to them is a word of encouragement. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I often need somebody to encourage me. I mean, do any of you, you just can't wait to get to the office and have somebody just wear you out about something? I mean, really, just, doesn't that just get you all excited? I just can't wait to get there for somebody to chew me out about something. Or, you know, you see the email and you know the name that's come in, you're just like, oh, you're like, wow, I could have had a V8, right? I mean, just, just, it just it doesn't work. There's a, I read a story the other day about two teenage boys, a ninth grade and 11th grade. They went to a D-NOW, and they, the, the D-NOW, they were studying spiritual gifts. And so they, they, the mom picked them up from the D-NOW, and the boys got in the car, and the mom was like, like, so what did you guys learn? She looked at the youngest son in the ninth grade and said, what was your spiritual gift? And he said, wow, my spiritual gift was service. And the 11th grade was, what? Are you kidding me? You're a slob. You're lazy. You've never helped anybody in your life. Are you kidding me? You're a jerk. And the mom said, whoa, whoa, easy, down boy. She said, what was your, what was your spiritual gift? He said, encouragement. <laughs> Sometimes you just miss the mark, don't you? I mean, you just, something went wrong. But here, Jesus doesn't miss a beat. I mean, these folks are hiding and cowering in fear because what they've just seen is their whole life has been crucified and buried, and there's no possible way they can imagine how this happens. I can't think of anything more encouraging than the 24th chapter of Luke, because what Luke tells us in his gospel is that Jesus comes back, and he looks at the people in fear, and he says, peace be to you. You know, in my life, the world can be upside down, but I crave and long for peace don't you? Don't you just have this longing in your soul to know that you're at peace? 
You're at peace at work. You're at peace in your finances. You're at peace with your, with your spouse, with your children. You're at peace with your church. You're at peace in your home. We have a craving and a longing for peace. And Jesus showed up and looked at the room full of freaked out people and he said, peace, I bring you peace. Maybe today you need a little word of encouragement. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says, you must encourage each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Listen, the writer of Hebrews says, if, if, if you're here today and life has beat you up a little bit, maybe you're exhausted, the prescription that Dr. Luke gives and the writer of Hebrew gives is this, go be an encourager so that you might be encouraged. He said, this is what we need, be an encourager today. Don't wait for tomorrow, today. Who is it today you're going to go be an encourager to? Jesus shows up and he sees these people in great need. He says, I bring you peace. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful statements that the Savior ever makes. He looks at people like me and you in a world that's upside down, in a world that is in a mess, and he says, I bring you peace. I mean, the, what a beautiful picture. I mean, the Easter story has happened. The, 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 the Savior has been crucified. He's been buried. And he got up and walked out, and he conquered death, and he conquered Satan, and he conquered sin, and he did it all for you. I mean, think about it. There we are in the middle of our sin nature, in the middle of messed up people. And God, being perfect, looked upon us and said, oh, I love them. But in their imperfection, they can't be in right relationship with me because God's perfect. And he says, but I, I, I love them. So he sends his own son, Jesus, to take our place. He takes the sinless, perfect one to take the place of the sinful, wicked ones. And he dies on a cross and sheds his blood and allows his body to be broken so that we might accept his gift of dying for us as payment for our sin so that we might be in right relationship with God and have life more abundantly today and eternally forever. And I look at that and I think, what a beautiful picture. A few weeks ago when we were on vacation, we were south of Daytona Beach and Ponce Inlet, and some of you guys were down there with me, and we had a few days that were just brutally rainy days. And there was one day, lunch had come right before lunch, and the storm had rolled in, and it was raining sheets. You couldn't see the ocean from the shore. I mean, it was just a brutal storm. And it rained through lunch. It rained through the afternoon. It rained through dinner. It rained when we went to bed. I thought for a minute we needed an ark. I mean, it was just pouring down rain. And the next morning when I woke up, I went in and made a cup of coffee and grabbed my Kindle and walked out on that little balcony. I looked out across the eastern sky over that Atlantic Ocean, and I saw the sun rising, and I saw the beauty of the clouds, and I remembered my granddad saying, boy, that's the glory of the Lord, and I thought, I'm so glad I'm at peace because the sun rose. The darkness had been washed away. Light had arrived. And have you ever noticed that when the light arrives, when the sun rises, we can't wait to bask in its warmth and its glow and its goodness. We have this breath with smile of relief. You know, I read the other day that in the Pacific Northwest where it's dark and cloudy many of the days, that folks get this um, seasonal affective disorder and they have to pump all this illumination into their houses to keep them from becoming depressed and, 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 and sullen and, 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 and inward. They have to pump the sky in their, their house full of light to have illumination. I mean, it's called seasonal affective disorder, but Jesus came along 
And the S-O-N rose and said, I am the light of the world. I mean, through that, we can't survive without the sun, the S-U-N, but we can't survive without the sun, S-O-N. I mean, when you look at this, you think, our desperate hearts, tinted with selfishness and confusion, need his light. And in today's teaching, Luke tells us what happened when the S-O-N, the sun, came out. First, Jesus says, I bring you peace. Peace be with you. That greeting must have been like a glimmer of warm sunshine that had popped through the clouds, and they saw hope. They saw peace. I mean, what's happening today is, is ghastly. I mean, we, we got war in the Middle East. We've got planes being shot out of the air. We've got children down at our southern border that we don't know what to do with. I mean, this world is a messed up place. We need peace. And Jesus comes and says, I bring you peace. Now, that's not a throwaway platitude or a sweet sentiment. In the New Testament, the word for peace means to reconcile or to join. There were, there were some Bible translators that were trying to put the Bible into a dialect that would take to a tribe in Africa, and they couldn't quite figure out how to transfer that, that letter, those words, peace be with you. And so they brought in a guy that, that could be translated with them from the, from the tribe, and he came up with this phrase, and they used it in that translation, that peace be with you really is a heart that sits down. I want you to think about that. When the heart sits down with Jesus, when we join with God through his son, there is peace. And so you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute, Chuck, my life's a mess. Then sit down with Jesus and allow him to sit on the throne of your heart so that you might have peace. If you're here today and your life is completely upside down, sit down with Jesus. Let him sit on the throne of your heart that you might have peace. Not just any peace, not temporary peace, but a peace that passes all understanding. I don't know what you're longing for, but I can tell you the longing of my heart is to be at peace. But along the way, it wasn't just that he brought peace. He came and he proved the resurrection is the real deal. Jesus came along and he, and he showed them, I'm the real deal. He said, hey, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me. Look, you'll, you'll see that. And then that wasn't good enough. If you look back at the text, look what happens. He goes on and he says, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? In verse 38. And in verse 39, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while, he still did, while they still did not believe, for joy and marveled, he said to them, Do you have any food here? I mean, you ever wonder why when you come to church you eat all the time? I mean, Jesus modeled it. Hey, peace is here, let's eat. I mean, seriously, this. What a good picture. I mean, dead people don't eat fish. Ghosts don't eat fish. Jesus showed up and he said, look, you'll see the scars on my hands. You'll see the scars on my feet. Touch this. And by the way, let's, how about some catfish, boys? I mean, where's the hush puppies? Let's break out the tartar sauce. This is good. And he brought peace. He proved that, that the resurrection was the real deal. Listen, I, I don't pretend to understand the science or the metaphysics on, on how all that happened, but I do know this. I do know a few weeks ago, I walked into that empty tomb, and it's still empty. And I walked out of that tomb and knew my Savior walked out of that tomb and defeated death, and he defeated Satan, and he defeated sin, that I might have life in more abundance today, and might have it eternally forever, and he did it for you. And I look at that and I think to myself, the resurrection is the real deal. The disciples saw him. The resurrection wasn't a hoax. Here's a question for you. If there is no God, if there is no res resurrection, why and how is that tomb still empty? 
I mean, across the, the centuries, people have tried to discredit the, the resurrection. And most of the people who have attempted have become Christ followers in the belief and the recognition. Hundreds of people saw and touched and believed and saw Jesus after his bodily resurrection. He rose from the dead, just like he said he would, so that you might have life. He came and said, I bring you peace. He came and said, the resurrection is the real deal. But the resurrection means more than just he walked out of a tomb. The resurrection means that you have life. I mean, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. You and I are in desperate need for a life that is turned right side up. And Jesus came and said, I bring you life. I bring you life. I don't know a single person in this room this morning woke up, looked in the mirror and said, you know what I can't wait to do? Let's die today. I mean, not one of you looked in the mirror and said, you know what I can't wait to do? Be miserable. You know what I really want to do? I, 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 I want to absolutely stink at whatever I do. No, you... We got ready and expected God to do something. We wanted life. The resurrection came back and Jesus said, I want to give you life and abundance and life forever. And all you've got to do is trust me. The resurrection means life, but the resurrection also means hope. The resurrection brings us hope. No matter how dark it gets on this earth, we have the Son of God to remind us of our forever future. To be able to say, you've got hope. You don't have to give up. You don't have to surrender. You don't have to sit in a dark room and cower. You can walk out of here with hope, with life. But then the resurrection also means you can walk out with power. Power to live God-pleasing lives in the here and in the now. Power to overcome darkness and whatever experience you have firsthand. The light of life. I mean, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Listen, the sun, the S-U-N, is a thermonuclear power plant with an estimated internal temperature of 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Meteorologists have determined that 26 million of those degrees are focused on Sugar Hill, Georgia in the month of July. <laughs> I mean, the sun is able to convert 4 million tons of hydrogen and energy every, every second. Think about it. An outside force is necessary to strike a kitchen match. But God flung the sun into position with a word. The God who flung a million stars into a million galaxies flung that sun into existence. And like my friend Jay Strack would say, if we were one degree closer to the sun would be a Pop-Tart and one degree further away would be a Popsicle. God said, there's the sun, there you are, I've got you in my hand. I bring this to you, life, hope, and power. Power to go live this life the way I've called you to live it. I mean, finally, what, what Jesus says is, listen, the sun is out, get out. I mean, you ever, you ever see those youth parties where it says, you know, sun's out, gun's out, a bunch of teenage boys put on tank tops and try to show their guns and they're not there, and all the girls laugh at them, right? Been there and done that? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, trust me, people like me do not need to wear tank tops. I mean, they, they, there hadn't been guns here in like 40 years. <laughs> I mean, you know, in this case, sun's out, flab's out. And, uh, but this time, the sun's out. We ought to get out. Get out of the four walls of this church and go do something. Look what, look what Scripture goes on and says in the rest of the story. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Look in verse 42. So he gave them a piece of fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said, 
These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And then he said, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. You know what he said? The sun is out. Get out there. Go do something. Make a difference. I didn't give you this life and this hope and this power for you to come sit in a church and sit in a Bible study for the rest of your life. I gave you this so you could go live for me out there in the real world and help be normal people that love Jesus in the real world. I mean, I told our students in the first hour, listen, if God's called you to be an actress, then run to Hollywood and live for Jesus there. Lord knows they need it. If you want to be on Broadway, run to Broadway and live for Jesus there. You want to be an author, be a great author. You want to make movies, make great movies. You want to be a musician, be a great musician. But love Jesus. Go take this and do something with it. You say, well, you know what, Chuck, I, I can't go to Haiti, I can't go to Cuba, I can't go to Kenya, I can't go to Luther, I can't do all those things. You know what you can do? You can look at your neighbor and say, hey, look, why don't you just come join me at church? Listen, I know what some of you are saying. You say, well, Chuck, I don't, I mean, the problem is my neighbor's heard me have a filthy mouth, my neighbor's seen me drink too much, and my neighbor's seen me act out, and my neighbor's, okay, so they know you're not perfect. I mean, just at, invite them and say, listen, we got a church full of hypocrites, just come join us. I mean, seriously. I mean, think about it. How many of y'all this week did absolutely nothing wrong? So, so, Jackie, I know better than that. I mean, I know you. You're, you're more messed up than 30% of the people in this room. But listen to me. You know what? What if you just, what if you just went out there and we were normal and happened to love Jesus and said, come on, let's go change the world. Would you come join me? Jesus came. And the, the Bible defines our critical mission. You've ever noticed that everybody in the world's got a mission statement? You go to Wendy's now, you look at the mission statement, right? But what happens is we put a mission statement on the wall and we forget about what it is. Jesus gives this church, our church, the mission statement. You know what it is? That we go out there and preach Jesus crucified and risen. Jesus crucified and risen. Listen, I think it's wonderful that we feed hungry people. I think it's wonderful that we help teen moms. I think it's wonderful that we go to Haiti and feed hungry kids. I think it's wonderful that we go to a Luther and help build youth camps. I think it's great that we go to Kenya and help people with AIDS. I think it's great that we help in our public schools. Listen, I love it when we open our doors and the schools and the scouts are here. I love it when we do all these programs. All those things are great, but all of them count for nothing until we're a church that goes outside of these four walls and says, Jesus crucified and risen. Okay, let me try that one more time. All that good stuff we do counts for nothing if we don't go outside these four walls with this message, Jesus crucified and risen. All right, I'm going to try it one more time. It really doesn't matter. All the good things we do and all that stuff we clap about and all that junk we get excited about and all that stuff we break our arm, break our, patting ourselves on the bat about, unless we preach Jesus crucified and risen. That's, that's our message. That's what we're about. That's what we're called to do. Sugar Hill Church, that message wasn't for an ancient apostle. It was for us. We, we're the ones that get peace. We're the ones that get that the resurrection is the real deal. We're the ones that get the power. So I want to give you three things this week. Just try it, all right? 
You, you, you need to have a change in your life. Let me give you a prescription this week. Try these three things. Number one, recognize you need a time of peace. Take five minutes and start reading your Bible. And I, I, listen, I know some of you guys are like hour-long devotion readers. Good for you. We got a ribbon for you. You win, okay? But for many of you, just take five minutes and just start reading the Gospel of John or the book of James. Just start somewhere, five minutes. You say, Chuck, well, I'm too busy. No, you're not. You're just too lazy. Five minutes, all right? Number two, recognize that the resurrection is the real deal. If Jesus is real, pray. I mean, just, just pray, God, I need you to go for me. God, I need you to go with him. And God, I need you to come behind me. Just talk to him. I mean, you sit at a stoplight and talk. People will think you're on a Bluetooth device. Just have at it, right? And, and then third, really believe there's power there, that, you, that he's equipped you and wants you to go engage the world and share. And maybe it's just as simple as saying, hey, would you just come go to church with me? For some of you, it's, man, let me be an encouragement to you. For some of you, it's, man, let me tell you about what Christ has done in my life. But I'm going to ask you those three things this week. Put it into play and do something with it. You know why? Because Jesus came, was crucified and risen for you because he loves you. And that while we were still sinners, he still loved us.